Uh, take your Bibles, if you would, and open them to, as Pastor Aaron said, Ephesians chapter 4. It is, it's kind of a good thing, isn't it? To have to wait, I mean, upwards of a minute and a half for all the kids to get out of sanctuaries and make their way to children's church. And uh, it's a, it truly is a blessing to be able to minister to them. And so we're thankful for those who help be a part of that and, and uh, thankful for the privilege to minister to your kids. And, um, and so, yeah, super excited about that. But let's, let's turn our attention to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, as Pastor Aaron said. And as you see on the screen before you this morning, we want to talk about this reality of unity in the church. Uh, and, th- and this is what we find Paul addressing here in, in Ephesians chapter 4. And one of the things that we have to know as we begin, I won't, I'm not going to take the time to reread our call to worship. I'm going to point to it a time or two, but the bulk of our text is going to be, as you see on the screen there before you, 11 to 16. But there's something that we've got to understand as uh, is, is, is a body. All, all bodies of Christ, that is all individual local church bodies of Christ, need to understand something that is foundational to the ministry. And that is this, unity within the body of Christ is not optional. It is a command of the New Testament that the church be unified. It is an expectation by Christ that the body of Christ will function in ways that promote unity and allows them to carry out the function of the body and thereby achieve the goal for the body. Now, unity is translated from the word oneness, and that, that word oneness is used twice in the New Testament. And so unity is literally the quality of being united into one. All right, now, as Pastor Aaron has been saying over the last, I guess I did announcements last week, so I touched on it last week, Pastor Aaron touched on it this week. Um, we want to we share this morning uh, some of the things that we've begun unpacking and some of the findings of our time spent with IBL going back to last December. And, and we want to do that for a couple reasons. One, because we want you to know what's going on. Uh, we recognize that as we've started working um, with IBL, it's really primarily right now been about the leadership. Uh, and that's okay. That's ultimately, is, and this makes sense, I think we understand this, that as the leadership is built up, it, it, it equips them and enables them to be able to build up beyond out into the congregation. So while we started, a min- or, or not ministering, but we started working with IBL back in December of last year, so it's been right about seven months, uh, most of the time spent with them through that first phase of working with them has been in terms of unifying and strengthening the leadership here at Dale Bible Church. Now, I'm going to share some things this morning um, that are realities for our ministry. So there's going to be some instances where some of what we talk about this morning is it's we're looking at God's word and we're seeing the command, for example, to be unified. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that might look like in our context, in our ministry. And, you know, one of the things that I have shared recently is had you asked me um, and anybody on our leadership team six months ago, a year ago, 18 months ago, two years ago, at any point during my time here as, uh, as, as pastor of Dale Bible Church, I would have told you that we were unified. We were everybody, we were humming along, we were going in the same direction. That leadership, the leadership team was unified. But I'm going to be honest and transparent with you this morning. The old saying that you don't know what you don't know until you know it is very true. And now listen, this is not a death blow, okay? This is not to to shed light on anything that we've been through, anything. What we're doing this morning 
okay, hear me when I say this, is about where Dale Bible Church is going. But in order for us to understand and appreciate where Dale Bible Church is going, there's a reality we got to understand where we've been and what we've come through, okay? And I don't want to belabor that this morning, but I want to stress the importance of the need for unity. I would have told you that, yep, we are all good. We are all on the same page. And I believe every member of the leadership team and all throughout my eight years here would have told you the exact same thing. But there is a reality um, of, of what we might call a false unity. And that's not to say that it's malicious. That's not to say that it's intentional. But as I've alluded to already, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. Okay? And I would submit that I thought we had unity as we worked through things. But as we started trying to work through waters that we had never been through before, and that's just a reality of ministry, we come to the realization that the unity we thought we shared wasn't necessarily there or as strong as we thought it was, okay? And so that's part of what lends itself to utilizing a ministry like IBL because all of us can understand the practical outworking of when we realize that the unity we thought we had isn't as strong as we thought it was, where unity lacks, those who lack the unity are not going to just produce unity, okay? And so by God's grace, and we've shared this, we absolutely believe that it is of God that in July of last year, uh, I met Dave Dietz at the IFCA convention and began coordinating and communicating with him just about general things that had to do with ministry and functioning within ministry and, and, and the roles of pastors and, and all of this stuff working together, and, and the reason that I want to share some of these things is because I, I believe, nobody has said this to me, but I'm not dumb, that there might be a perception that says everything was good at Dale Bible Church until December when we met with IBL. That, that perception, I believe, exists. And, and the reason I share this about the, the, that lack of unity is because there's been a lot of conversations over the last two years of how do we move forward and how do we have this unity that we're lacking and how do we move ahead? I mean, I'll just level with you guys as we work through things as a leadership team. We were literally up against every deadline. We had to be like whatever that deadline was for any decision that needed to be made. We were always right up against it in making decisions because we didn't know how to make them. And that might sound like, well, what do you mean you don't know how to make decisions? Because it's not that easy. This is a growing ministry. Look around right now. I mean, think about all the kids that just went out and look around. There's so many things going on, and there's so many things that we're trying to sort through and navigate. And so because what we look back now realize the unity that we thought we had was lacking, it, 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 it disabled our ability to make decisions, okay? And so we literally, we kind of, I don't know if joked is the right word, but we've kind of joked as a leadership team that we became professional can kickers, we just kicked every can down the road until we absolutely couldn't kick it anymore. Well, this is going to start next Sunday, so we have to tell the people tomorrow. So we have to sit in this room for three, four, five hours, and we've done this, however long it takes to make this decision. Now, here's the reason I share all of that with you. Because it's not a bad thing for the leadership team to take a step back and say, Hey, we think we need some help here. We're trying to navigate waters we've never navigated, and we're finding that we're not as skilled at it as we thought we were. 
And so again, by God's grace, we, we ran into um, Dave Dietz at the IFCA convention. And after a, uh, we didn't connect initially right away, but knowing that there was some just trying to figure out what unity and things look like, I remember telling my wife one time, I said, I, for me personally, I said, I want to connect with IBL because, you know, and I don't want to sound super spiritual when I say this, okay, so don't misinterpret this. But I told my wife, I said, it might be me. It, it might, I might be the one. It, it may be a, the, a collection of us. It may be, I, I just don't know, but I know what we're trying to do isn't working. So well, that's when I talked with the leadership team, and everybody said, hey, we think this is a great idea. We think that they could be an asset to us. One of the things that we have learned as a leadership team from IBL that I think is probably going to prove to be the greatest thing that they have taught us is what's called manage by agreement. And we have already started doing this as a leadership team. Uh, we've had conversations with the deaconesses, of course, because my wife is a deaconess and Aaron's wife is a deaconess, and, and just through different conversations about this, this thing called manage by agreement. And what manage by agreement does is it's a very simple tool that enables you to make decisions, to move forward. And so here's how it works. Anytime you're navigating something, you're moving ahead, you're making a decision, it comes time, okay, all right, we're ready to manage by agreement. Here's what that looks like. It looks like this, it looks like this, or it looks like this. Those are the only three options when it comes to manage by agreement. Now I want to tell you what these three options mean. Option number one, the thumbs up. We are all full speed ahead, go. All right, we're going to move ahead. This means, well, I don't know if that's how I would do it, but I can get on board. I see, what, I see the, the, the train of thought I see, but this is still an opportunity to say why I wouldn't do it this way. Okay, you guys tracking with me? And then lastly is this, and this is utilized when there is a biblical grounds to say no. So when a leadership team comes together, and we've begun employing this, we actually, let's see, this is June. So in April, at our leadership meeting, we were talking through something, and we're sitting around the table, we're having some conversation, and we were all like this. And one guy, when we said, and, and this is different than voting, okay? Because you can vote yes on something and have reservations as a leadership team, and they never get discussed, they never get worked through, and that hampers unity, right? So we're having this conversation as a leadership team, and one of the men, we say, okay, time for managed by agreement. Everybody puts their thumbs out, and we have one man go like this. And we said, okay, the floor is yours. That's the automatic response to this. The floor is yours. What's your hesitation? What's your concern? And he shared some things as we talked. It was all, it was just simple things that the rest of us hadn't thought about. By the time we were done, you know where we all were? Right here. Let's wait. Let's continue to gather information. Let's continue to kind of assess and evaluate. Now, here's the reason I tell you that story. Because you guys are probably thinking, we don't care about any of this. I hope you do care. Because what we're doing as a leadership team is promoting unity amongst us. And, and there is no, when you manage by agreement, this, even at the end of the day, if you start like this and then we have a conversation, we say, nope, we're all good, we're this way. That means when we leave that room, everybody is full speed ahead. We're on the same page. We understand what we're doing and why we're doing it, and we go. And the difference, again, between this, this, and this, and voting is voting doesn't always get the man on the leadership team the opportunity to share that concern or to share that reservation. But when we vote like this or when we manage 
by agreement like this, the floor becomes that individual's. They share their concerns. They, they express how they see things. And at the end of the day, either the rest of the men say, hey, I hadn't thought about that. And maybe we need to take a step back or we, uh, or we resolve those reservations and hesitations. And this becomes this, okay? But again, both of these mean we're moving full speed ahead. We're all on board. We're going, but we've worked through it if we're here. Perhaps the most important principle with managed by agreement is that the only time you can do this is if there is biblical grounds to say that's not consistent with God's word and here's why or here's how. Okay? Because the reality is, as we function as a leadership team, we have different ideas. We have different perspectives and and different mentalities. That's part of what makes the, the body and the leadership team strong. We don't want, so we got six men in leadership right now. We don't want six men who think exactly the same way. We have different perspectives and different experiences in our lives that lend themselves to a board of of diversity amongst the gifts that we have and the ways that God uses us. That's how you want it to function. So we cultivate, we've been given tools that allow us to cultivate the unity that the Word of God calls the church to have. Okay? Now, like I said, most of you are like, that doesn't mean anything to us. I want you to understand that as much as right now our work with IBL has primarily been about the leadership team, you go as we go. You want a strong body, we got to have a strong leadership. They, they work together. They're not at odds. They work together to accomplish the goal. And so even though, as we look at some of this this morning... A lot of what has begun to been ironed out has been for the leadership. Understand that this isn't just about making a strong leadership and then that's it, we're done with it. We've just completed the first of three phases. That's it. We still have two more to go. And, and you'll start to see the outworking of some of this stuff as we continue to move forwards. But again, our goal this morning in sharing this reality is that we've realized as a leadership team that in many ways, not always, but in many ways, we don't have, we didn't have the biblical unity that we longed for. I think there's a reality that what we had was more of a, a false unity than a biblical unity. And so what I hope we see together this morning is the fruit of working first as a leadership team to attain unity And IBL is just simply a tool that God has brought into our path to help us to attain that. They're not calling the shots. They're not making decisions for us. They've come along, I would like to say alongside us, but really they're operating underneath us. We're getting ready to share some things with you um, from some of the results of the first phase. And and what you're going to see is everything that is on that sheet, we as a leadership team, these decisions were made, managed by agreement. For a whole day and a half as we were with IBL, as we worked through this section, okay, we're good. All right, we're going to manage by agreement. There were times that we stopped and said, okay, we need to take a step back. And we'll talk a little bit about that some more in a few minutes. But it's not just about the leadership. But IBL, I want you to understand, is just desired to come alongside us and operate underneath our authority of a local, you know, as a local church. And just to be a helper, be an asset to us. 
And so we're hopeful, and I say we because I did something this week I've never done before. Um, Pastor Aaron and I talked a lot this week about what this would look like and how we wanted to present this information. And this morning, I sat down with our leadership team. We meet every Sunday at 8, almost every Sunday at 8. And this morning, I literally said, here's my points, here's what I'm preaching, here's what I... And we literally interacted as a leadership team. I've never done that in writing a sermon before. And so when I say, we're hopeful you will see, we, it's we. It's not me. It's not Aaron. It's not me and Aaron. We as a leadership team are hopeful that beginning this morning, we will see that the time and resources allocated to IBL are working to help us to attain the unity that God's word calls his church to have, not only as a leadership team, but as a body, as a whole. We've seen this reality as we, begard, we, as we began in regards to oneness, unity. This is what the church is called to have. And the first part of this chapter, Pastor Aaron read this for us in our call to worship, Paul stresses this oneness. He gives seven examples, beginning in verse 4 of this oneness. He says, there is one body and there is one spirit just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You see, oneness is a key in the Christian life. It's not just a key in the Christian life, it's a key to the Christian life. Literally, significant portions of God's word are given to creating and promoting and maintaining Unity. And so we think about this unity and the attention here that Paul brings to it. You might notice there as Pastor Aaron read our call to worship this morning that the first thing Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 is he calls for the believers to walk. Walk, that's a euphemism for living. He calls them to live their lives in such a way. And, and what is that way? It's a, to live their lives in a way that is worthy of the calling of being a follower of Jesus Christ. So Paul's telling these believers in Ephesus, walk or live your life in a manner that's worthy of being called a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, as we've touched on before, I think it was a year and a half, two years ago or so, when I preached through Ephesians, if it, it, you, you got to remember there, when we get to chapter 4, there's a, there's a shift Paul says right away in chapter 4, he says, I therefore, and we always ask the question, when we see the word therefore, what's it therefore? Paul is reflecting on what he's written in the first three chapters. The first three chapters are the, the, the foundational truths, it's the, the doctrine, it's the theology, it's the things that the Ephesians need to know. There's one imperative in the first three chapters, there's 29 in chapters 4, 5, and 6. So Paul is telling the Ephesian believers as he writes to them, here's what you need to know, and now here's what you do in light of it. And he begins by saying, you live in a manner that is worthy. He wants them to walk worthy of being called a follower of Christ. Live in light of all of the things that you have been taught through this letter, believers in Ephesus, up to this point. 
And this unity is what Paul desires for them. He's calling them to pursue. But I want you to understand something. The pursuit of unity in the church is not a casual thing. It's not just kind of as we go, it happens, or as we go, we attain it. Paul says, he tells them to walk worthy to the calling which they've been called. He says, I want you to do that with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. And then he says in verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This walk that Paul is calling the Ephesians to, they're being called to engage in, in, in a fashion that is eager. The idea of being eager is the idea of being zealous or doing something with intense effort and motivation. So Paul is very clearly, he's writing, this is what you know. Now I want you with, with every fiber of your being, Ephesian believers, with, this, with, with, with everything that you can muster and with the help of the Spirit of God, with intense effort and motivation, pursue unity. He doesn't say with everything that you have, pursue holiness. Not that Paul would not think we should pursue holiness. Okay? He didn't say pursue this or pursue that and it's going to help you, Ephesus. He said pursue with great intensity and with great motivation, unity. Because out of unity within the body, everything will flow and function. And so this is where we turn our attention to what Paul writes in, in, in the section of the chapter that we want to look at about unity. Because sometimes we look at God's word and we think, man, that is really lofty. Man, I don't know if I could, can we get there? Can I get there? This, that, or the other thing. I want you to understand, the reality of God's word is that he is not calling the church to anything that he will not equip her to accomplish. So when the word of God in Ephesians chapter 4 says that we are urged to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called to pursue unity with eagerness, what we walk away from this knowing is that with the help of God, the church can have unity. Because God is faithful. And because God will not call his church to something he will not equip her to do. And that's exactly what we see in Ephesians 4. God has equipped his church for unity. I want to begin reading in verse 11 of Ephesians 4. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, you, through your word, have called your church to unity. And I am thankful, God, that you have given your church all that she needs to be unified. And so I just pray this morning, God, that as we look into your word, that 
uh, you would challenge us, God, that we would see it as coming from you. And this is the means whereby you've said this is how we can achieve unity. This is how we realize the things that have been given to us to be faithful to the calling that you've given. And so we thank you, God, for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love for us, your grace and your mercy, God, that just enable us to even call you Father, that enable us to serve you in any capacity. God, you are so gracious and merciful, and I just praise and thank you for that today. And I pray, God, that you would go before me, that you would go before us, God, and that you would be pleased today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want to look together at what we, like the church at Ephesus, need to know about God equipping his church for unity. So the first thing is this. The me- Can you see that? Is that? Nope. Yeah, it's there. Okay. The means of equipping for unity. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So these are the means of the church being equipped. You see, Paul speaks to the diverse gifts that God has given, not only for the purpose of unity, but the gifts are the means of unity. If the church is going to achieve unity, then we need to see that these are the means that God has given for the church to be equipped to have unity. One of the things I want to point out right away, we notice in verse 11, and maybe we don't notice it just in reading verse 11. But Paul says, and he gave the apostles. Some of our translations use the word some, and he gave some as apostles, He gave some as prophets, some as evangelists, shepherds, teachers. But what are all those things? Those are people. Those aren't positions. Those aren't unique gifts. Paul is communicating to the church at Ephesus that God's mean of equipping the body for unity is the people that he has given for this purpose. Literally, the gifts that God has given to bring about unity in the church are the people. The idea of being equipped is to be fully trained or to be prepared. And God, according to Paul here in Ephesians 4, has given the people to help with this preparation. That's the whole point. God has given these people so that the body might be equipped to function, as we'll see in a few minutes. And so what does Paul tell us, or tell the church at Ephesus God gave? He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Let's look at these quickly. Apostles and prophets, they're similar in the fact that they speak on behalf of God. They serve as his messengers. It's important for us to realize this morning that apostles of Christ are no longer a thing in the official sense. One of the requirements of being an apostle of Jesus was you had to have visibly, physically seen the risen Jesus Christ. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul, he's talking about this reality of apostleship, and he refers to himself as one who was born out of undue time. The rest of the apostles, they saw Jesus, right? We were looking at some of these realities as we were talking about the four chairs, and oh, by the way, we will pick these back up next week. Um, Two more things we want to say about four chair discipling. But we saw the appearance of Jesus in the upper room, okay? Paul says again right there in 1 Corinthians 15, the text I just referenced where he talks about Jesus appeared to more than 500. Jesus had appeared to these these folks. And when he's talking about that, we know that the difference with Paul was where did Jesus appear to Paul? 
Well, on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. So the appearing of Jesus to Paul was different than the other apostles. But nonetheless, Paul met the criteria to be regarded as an apostle of Jesus because the risen Jesus had appeared to him. He had seen the risen Jesus. It's recorded for us in Scripture. And so this gift of being an apostle has historically been accepted, I believe rightly historically accepted, as having been limited to the twelve and to the apostle Paul. As noted already, prophets also spoke on behalf of God. Again, we must keep in mind the reality that these gifts function as they did when we did not have a completed what we call Bible. There were those who needed to speak on behalf of God as representatives of God because the word of God as we know it didn't exist. Okay, This is one of the greatest arguments against the office of apostle and prophet still being in existence today. God's word is very clear that there is no more revelation coming. It is all contained right here within the pages of what we call God's word. There's the evangelist. In the entire New Testament, only Timothy and Philip are regarded as such. That is, again, as evangelists. We see that they travel around and proclaim truth, right? Philip in Acts chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch, we know he's traveling, he's going about Timothy, it was not intended for him to stay in Ephesus long term. And, and actually, it was kind of funny. One of the conversations Aaron and I had this meet was some of the similarities between a missionary and an evangelist. Uh, I would submit that the difference between the two is the idea of missionary is more of a long term, prolonged thing. Both of them are going to travel, but the evangelist continues to travel and continues to go about where the missionary typically has a set location and a set group of people that they're seeking to minister to and reach into. Shepherds and teachers are the last two gifts, Paul says, that God has given to the church. And they're not the same thing, but there is an overlap between the two of them. Because all shepherds have to be teachers, but all teachers are not shepherds. That's, I believe that's why Paul distinguishes between uh, teachers and shepherds. Some of your translations, instead of shepherd, might say pastor. One of the things I want you to understand is throughout the entire New Testament, the word elder, pastor, bishop, um, uh, overseer, these all mean the exact same thing. There is, no, there is no distinguishing in the entire New Testament between a pastor and an elder. None. The words are all used synonymously. Okay, And so we see, again, we talk about the difference between a, a pastor or a shepherd and a teacher. There are differences. They're not the same thing. But all of these are gifts, people that are given by God to be the means for equipping the body for the sake of unity. And here's what I want to show you. I'm just going to tell you, don't try to write all this down. When we finish this morning, All of everything I'm getting ready to put on the screen will be available for you in the foyer. You can grab one on your way out and take it with you. When we think about this, the gifts, that is the people that God has given for equipping, this is the outworking, and I know most of you can't see it all because I can't see it at all back there, but this is the initial outworking of phase one of our working with IBL. And this is basically an organizational flowchart. It's a structure whereby clarity is brought into what we're doing, who's doing it, and how it is that we're going to try to accomplish it. 
Okay, so again, you may be able to see some of it's, it's, it's kind of made out on there, some of it's a more bold, but you've got at the top, you've got your church board or your leadership team as a whole. Underneath that, you've got the elders or pastors. Again, we're using these words synonymously, okay? And then to the right of that, yep, you've got deacons with all of the responsibilities of the deacons underneath them. Underneath elders and general responsibilities of the pastor's elders is delegated uh, specific functions of the three pastors or elders of Dale Bible Church. You might see when you take this and you go home that all three elders here are regarded as pastors, okay? Um, And that's simply because we want to bring clarity to the word. They mean the same thing. So if it helps you to put the word elder then nobody's going to argue that, but they mean the same thing. The reality is we have two paid pastors and we have a lay pastor. And what we see through this first phase of working with IBL is that we've been able to bring clarity to who's doing what, what those responsibilities are, and how it is that things are going to get done. And I'm going to give you a simple example of why this is necessary, okay? Um, Just this weekend, there was... Uh, a need from a number of individuals to use tables from the church, and myself included, okay? And as we begin working through this and establishing how these things are functioning, there's, I'm just going to tell you, I've been here eight years, there's been a lot of ambiguity. There's always just kind of been, well, we just make sure that it gets done. We make sure that it gets done, but a lot of times, you know what happens? It doesn't get done. And so one of the things that we realized, a great example of this this weekend was uh, there was a lot of moving parts in the request of some various folks to use tables, again, myself included. One of the things that is an outworking of this, and I know some of this may not seem like that big of a deal, but trust me, it is. Because when you're trying to navigate life with 200 people, it's a lot different than life with 50, right? Because you, you gotta have, we gotta know who's what and who's where. And so here's a long story short. We needed tables. Well, as we currently have it, Roger Radigan is our point man, is a deacon when it comes to utilizing our facilities and utilizing the resources of our facility. And I will be the first one to tell you, I was, I don't, I, I text you and asked for a few tables, right? I did, but I got more and didn't communicate with Roger. I didn't think, I didn't think anything about it, right? Not a big deal. I got some more tables, but here's what happened. Somebody else had been communicating and went to get tables and guess what? They were gone. Now, tables are a very silly illustration. I get that. But I want you to understand, it's not just tables when ambiguity leads to chaos. Sadly, it happens often with big things. The, 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 this clarity of who's over what and who's functioning in what role, it allows the leadership team to make decisions. More importantly, it allows those who are functioning underneath them, knowing who they're functioning underneath, knowing what there's expected of them, knowing how it is that they're supposed to function, they're free to make decisions. So I'm going to give you a little insight in the last two years how we made decisions at the church. Let's say somebody comes to me and says, hey, what do you think about this? Could we do this? X, Y, Z, A, B, C. If you've asked me, you know what my response to that question always is. I've got to talk to the leadership team, or I've got to talk to the board, all right? So let's say you ask me, and this always happens, you ask me a question the day after we had our leadership team meeting. It will be one month now before we have another leadership team meeting. 
And you know what happens in that leadership meeting? When I bring whatever needs to be brought to the leadership team, and inevitably there's questions that need to be answered before we can move ahead. So now I got to leave the leadership team meeting and I got to go back to the individual that had the question. I need to try to, you know, we'll sift through that. We'll figure that out. Now we got to wait a whole nother month till the next leadership team meeting. And then I got to go back to the leadership and we got to figure out this, that, or the other thing. It was three months to make any decision here at Dale Bible Church. Now listen, that's, and that's just a, like a reality, right? Like that's the world we were living in. That doesn't, it's not, it's not healthy. Because one of the things I struggle most with is knowing people are frustrated with me when they're trying to make decisions and they're constantly in a three-month holding pattern. Well, why aren't we doing this? Why can't we do this? What's the deal here? What's this? Well, everything. We literally made every single decision as a leadership team. We can't function that way. We have to have clarity to who's doing what and what roles underneath them are delegated. And then the individuals who have roles delegated to them, they know what their parameters are and they go. And they're free to make a decision. And they're free to do X, Y, Z, or ABC because they understand the parameters with which they're functioning in. Okay? Now, again, this may not seem like a big deal to most of you. Most of you are probably like, what? whatever, dude. Like, do what you got to do. I, I, trust me. Trust me. These are necessary steps to achieving and maintaining unity as we move forward. God is in the midst of doing great things at Dale Bible Church. And I don't say that because I'm supposed to. If I didn't think, I'm going to, I will just, I'm going to bear my soul. If I didn't think God was doing great things at Dale Bible Church, there's lots of churches, guys. I could, I could get another job, just like anybody in their job. If it's not, they could get, I don't want a new job. God is doing great things at Dale Bible Church. And he's going to do even greater things at Dale Bible Church. But I understand, as we've talked about, the reality of, of sifting through chaos and trying to establish order is difficult. And I also want you to understand, all of these things that we're talking about, we're not trying to reflect negatively on the past. We're not trying to, to throw shade on what Dale Bible Church has been or how Dale Bible Church has functioned. Okay? But there was a reality that existed amongst the leadership team that what we were doing was not working. People, everybody was burnt out. Everybody was stretched super thin. And we're trying to figure out how to do ministry. And it wasn't working. Right? And so when you look at this, I know it looks like a lot of just information on a screen. And get a piece of paper when you leave. It's going to look like a lot of information on a piece of paper. Okay? But this stuff is fleshing itself out. This stuff is going to, as we continue to move forward, begin to make sense, right? It's going to go much further than just the leadership team to the body as a whole. But God has given people in our context, elders or pastors, whichever word you want to use, and deacons. And if God's word is correct, and I believe it is. I know you know that I believe God's word is correct and authoritative. We see, secondly, the purpose of equipping for unity. When you think of these gifts, these, these people that, he've, that he's given that are designed to promote unity in the body, these people, 
pastors and deacons are given, as we see in verse 12, to equip the saints for ministry. The primary function or responsibility of the leadership team, the gifts that God has given to any ministry, to any local church, is that they would equip those to minister, okay, to achieve unity with one another and to pursue unity with those who don't know Christ, to to reach out into our communities and to cultivate relationships, okay? And this is the reason that God has given these gifts. The purpose is that these gifts would equip the saints for the work of ministry. Paul says here that saints need to be equipped. And, and the leadership team is included as saints, right? Like we're a part of that being equipped as well. When he talks about this, this equipping of the saints, he's talking about all believers who make up the church, And the goal in unity that Paul talks about here is that all of those who are believers within the church would grow in spiritual maturity. That's the goal, all right? And so ministry that promotes spiritual maturity as is not and cannot be carried out by only a few people, okay? It's it's just not a reality. If the if if God's word says that the goal is for all of the saints to be equipped to do the work of the ministry, then especially as the ministry grows, it's not feasible to think that just a few can 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 cultivate the equipping of everyone. It's carried out by the body as a whole, one to another. About a year ago. Uh, the leadership team was working through a book we read together and we come together monthly and discussed called The Trellis in the Vine. And in this book, uh, the, the authors of this book, they broke down um, three perspectives of pastors that primarily are the three perceptions of pastors that exist in uh, ministries today. And so in the book, the first breakdown of a pastor that they give is what they call the pastor as service providing clergyman. Again, this is all going to be in a chart for you too. You don't have to try to write this down. You'll be able to get this on your way out. And so under this pastor as service providing clergyman, the pastor is, he's the preacher and he's the service provider. And Sunday is a service of worship. And outside of Sunday, there's occasional services. And pastoral care takes place through counseling and visitation. And church really in this model functions like a small corner store that has one employee, okay? And again, it makes sense when you see one pastor, one, this, this model, small corner store, and this tends to result in consumers who are in maintenance mode, okay? We're just, we're humming, we're just cruising along. Secondly is the pastor is CEO, and in this model, the pastor is the preacher and manager, So he's not a service provider, he's still preaching, but now he's also managing, and we'll make sense of this in just a second. Sunday is designed to be an attractional meeting, and outside of Sunday, there's a range of events and programs, and pastoral care happens through small groups primarily. And church, in this case, is like a department store with numerous staff, and this tends to result consumers who are in growth mode, okay? And so one thing I want to say is, most of our churches are a combination of one, two, or three of these, right? Like very rarely are we going to take any church and be able to just pigeonhole them into one model, okay? But the third model that they give 
is what they call pastor as trainer. And under this model, the pastor is not only the preacher, he's the same in all three, but in this case, he's the trainer. Sunday is a gathering of worshiping disciples with their Lord. So you already, I, I hope, see there, there's, a, there's almost a shift in the perspective of what Sunday is. Okay, it's a gathering of worshiping disciples. Outside of Sunday, disciples are reaching out to make disciples. This is the, having been equipped. The body is doing the ministry after being equipped by the leadership that God has given. And pastoral care takes place with people ministering to people. That's not exclusive, of course. It's not like in these models your pastors are off limits. Okay, but all of the pouring into people's lives is not limited to the pastor or pastors. And church is like a team with an active captain coach who's engaged and involved, and this tends to result in disciples who are in mission mode. One of the things that we have talked about for months now is the reality that the Word of God is very clear that the objective of the church in a general sense is to be making disciples. And I will go as far as saying to you this morning as we look at Ephesians 4 and we look at what the Apostle Paul says about the gifts that have been given, that is the leadership who's there to equip the body, this really looks like one of these. The pastor's trainer. The leadership doing what? Equipping the body to do the ministry. And ultimately, why? For the purpose of spiritual maturation of the whole. It doesn't do us any good if a couple people are super spiritual. You've seen, it's been a long time, but we've, seen, we've shared tons of statistics. If 20% of the body here is, is, is cultivating strong relationships here and there for the purpose of those relationships being redemptive relationships, then the body of Christ, not just our church, but the body of Christ is growing exponentially faster than if the few pastors or few deacons are trying to pour into people. And so what God's word, what Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus here is that the purpose of, um, oh, I'm going to go back, that the purpose of e- e- these leaders, these gifts of apostles, of prophets, of evangelists, of shepherds, and of teachers is to strengthen the body to do the work of ministry, right? And so this is what will be the back page of a chart that's available for you as you make your way out. This is, um, this is the bottom portion of the top thing that you just saw. And so in its original format, which obviously we couldn't give to you because we didn't have you know, giant pieces of paper, there was some lines and there were some arrows and things. But what you'll see in a general sense, this is a little bit bigger, so some of you might be able to see it, is that right there you have the three pastors, the three elders there, myself, Aaron, and Paul. Over to the right you've got the deacons. But you'll notice these little blue lines those are, those are the delegated responsibilities that are functioning or need to be functioning, okay, under the leadership that the church currently has in place. And you might look at it and say, like, the first one, so this, the first column is, is me, is the lead preaching pastor. And there's three primary delegated roles, the role of worship leader, the role of AV, IT coordinator, and administrative assistant. Now, here's what I want you to understand as you think about that. All three of those things are needs in our church. 
And so what happens right now, week to week, is Pastor Aaron functions as those three things. The problem with that is, as you saw on the first chart, Pastor Aaron, as a discipleship pastor, has a whole row of responsibilities that he needs to be carrying out to function as the discipleship pastor. We don't have to be rocket scientists to say if he's functioning as the worship leader, the AVIT guy, and, and, and an administrative assistant, then he's not functioning as the discipleship pastor. And furthermore, and this is where things really start to get messy, if he's not functioning as the discipleship pastor, then the middle column there, those blue boxes, those are all the delegated roles that we need at Dale Bible Church to function that he's not giving any attention to because he can't. Because all of his energy and effort is going into things that, if I'm reading God's word right, says that the, the leadership has been given to equip people to lead the worship, to handle the IT side of things, to help carry out some of the functions of the, the administrative assistant type duties. And so when we look at this, you'll see, again, one of the things I want you to see is you take these and you go, is there's, there's two types of roles that exist underneath the leadership. A delegated role and a supported role, or a supported, yeah, supported role is what we want to use, right? And, and, and all of these roles have to be filled, and some of them currently are, okay, um, by folks who are not on the leadership team, all right? So don't, everything isn't, you know, um, everything isn't lacking, but what, what, what we have saw as a leadership as we've worked with IBL is that we've got a lot of things moved around and not order. There's just a lot of chaos. There's a lot of things that are just happening, okay? And so what we see with these blue boxes on our screen, they won't be blue on your paper, is that these are the positions. These are the, the, the functions within the body that the Word of God calls those who are in leadership, that, that, that leadership team, elders and deacons, or pastors and deacons, to equip the body to carry out those functions. So we see this reality that Again, only one of those views of a pastor, right? We had the pastor as uh, service providing clergyman, pastor as CEO, and pastor as trainer. Only one of those really emphasizes the training up of people to do ministry. The goal is disciples who are in mission mode for Christ, who are strengthening one another and who are cultivating life-changing relationships outside of these walls. And that's the last thing I want you to see this morning, the result of equipping for unity. You see, God, he has been so gracious in given us what we need to be unified so that we could pursue unity and so that we could enjoy the fruit of the results of being unified. Paul is very clear that unity for the body, as we've said, is necessary. Why is it necessary? Because the stakes are high. The stakes are high, so unity is a must. You see, the call of the gospel, as we're reminded here by Paul in verse 14, is what does he say? He says, we want, I'm going to start in verse 13. He says, so the, the leadership equips the saints to build up the body, and to what point? When do they stop building up the body? When we attain the unity of the flesh and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Again, here's the goal. Spiritual maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then he says, actually now takes a negative spin on it. 
He says, if you're not maturing spiritually, you are like a child who's being tossed to and fro by the waves, and you're carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. The stakes are high. And if spiritual maturation is not happening, I'm going to make a very bold statement. If people in the body are not maturing spiritually, Paul is very clear that they will fall victim. He says that if we're not maturing, we're like children and we get tossed to and fro. Any of y'all ever been in a boat that encountered a storm? If you haven't, you've probably seen the videos of the people who are somehow on a cruise ship in a hurricane. And everything and everyone on that ship is all over the place and going everywhere. And Paul says, this is a picture of when we're spiritually immature. Everything that comes along, we're kind of like, you know, that, oh, that uh, old Disney movie Up with the dog, and he'd be talking, he'd go, squirrel, and he's gone. That's a reality. If we're not maturing spiritually, Paul likens us to children who are being tossed to and fro. He says we're carried around by everything that comes along and appears to be some kind of a doctrine. By human cunning and by craftiness. In what? In deceitful schemes. Brothers and sisters, if we're not maturing spiritually, we're going to fall victim. I promise. And so to guard against falling victim, God has called his church to unity so that she may function properly and so that she may be built up in love. And this is what happens when the church functions as God intends. If we don't function, if any church, us or otherwise, do not function as God intends the church to function, then we cannot grow spiritually, we cannot be strengthened, we cannot be built up, and we cannot achieve the goal of of the church that is clearly laid out for us in Scripture, that we would be disciples who make disciples. Consider some of the words that Paul uses here in the end of our passage. He says, building up, grow up, held together, working properly, grow, building up in love. You see, this is what happens when the church functions as God intends it to. Not when it functions as a business, regardless of whatever the preferred business model may be. But when she functions as a living, breathing organism that is being built up and is maturing in faith, that's rooted and grounded and that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. There is only one church that will not fall victim to the gates of hell, and it isn't our church. It's Christ's church. That's the only church that will prevail. And I stand before you as one representative of six men who are in a leadership team, and if they could, if it wasn't awkward, I'd tell them to come stand up here with me, and they would. We have one goal, that Dale Bible Church would be what the Lord Jesus Christ has called his church to be. That we would function in a way that the word of God calls us to function and that we could do it in such a way with some of the helps that we've shared with you so that it's not so stressful and chaotic. So that we can work together and having clarity and who we are and what we want to accomplish and how it is we believe that those things can be accomplished. And then we want to strive side by side with each of you 
to attain the maturation that Paul calls the church to here in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's pray. Father, unity is such a precious thing. And it's so often perceived to be present. And, and sometimes we recognize, you know, as we've said, we, we figure out what we don't know when we realize that we didn't know it. And, and um, God, I'm thankful um, that, that some tough things have been revealed. God, we have been through a lot as a body. <clears throat> we've been through a lot as a leadership team. Um, but God, you are gracious and you're merciful. And this is your church. It's not ours. It's not the leadership team's church. It's not the people who make up the body's church. God, this is your church. And because that's true, God, our goal can be nothing short of functioning the way you desire your church to function. And so, God, I pray that you would help each of us to approach your word and to approach ministry with open hands. Being willing to say, my hands are open, here's maybe what I think, or here's maybe how I view something. But I want to lay God's word in my hands and see, does that, is that different than what I think? Is that different than how I would pursue, uh, uh, pursue things, or, or whatever that may look like, God? And I pray that you would promote more so a spirit of unity. God, I thank you for the unity that you've brought about over the last four to six months amongst the leadership. God, you've begun to do such great things, and that's not to minimize any of the things that you've done long before that. But God, we look at them and, and we see that, at least I look at them and I see, God, their preparation for even greater things. And I see it as, God, your handiwork, your, um, your grace and your mercy God, that you have brought folks into our lives to guide us and to lead us, God, and to give us wisdom uh, that we might see things from your word, God, and that we might desire to uphold your word and that as a body we would function according to how your word calls us to function, God, for this simple reason, so that you may be glorified. But we're thankful, God, that when we function, when we attain that unity that you've called us to have, God, that the promise is spiritual maturity, it's growth. God, that we could be more like Jesus. Not that we would grow numerically, but God, that we would grow spiritually. That we would be grounded, that we would be firmly rooted in the truths of your word. God, that we could be effective with the gospel. So we thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the gospel that you've given. We're thankful this morning, God, for the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And we're thankful, God, that even as much as any church on this earth could strive to have perfect unity, God. We recognize that perfect unity, it can't happen because of the presence of sin. But God, the hope of the gospel is recognizing that one day true unity will be realized. And we thank you for this reality because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has done. We pray, God, that you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.